This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It's Wednesday today, and in a moment, you'll be listening to, well, you're already listening to, The Late Show with Mark Creasy, who will be joining us in a moment. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Whilst we're waiting for people to get into the space, I should remind you of a couple of very important things coming up. And I need to make sure I get my dates correct as well. It's really, really important. So first things first, with a Slack group and Teachers Talk Radio are going to be teaming up on the 15th of October in Manchester at the Manchester Art Gallery. There are going to be loads and loads and loads of wonderful speakers. And if you cannot, for whatever reason, make it to Manchester, this event will be online as well, which is fantastic. So there's that one. There's also some other fantastic events coming up as well. And I should tell you that they are, I'm just finding all my relevant bits of information here. Um, Charlie Burley, who you may or may not have heard with Tom Rogers about a couple of weeks ago now, I think it was, talking about all things teacher well-being, health, fitness, and they covered a lot of ground in that chat, which you can listen back to if you search through the various shows uh, in our archive. But Charlie is also hosting an event in London at the ETC rather venue in St. Paul's in London on the 22nd of October. And it's called Rewriting Wellbeing. And it's a fun day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. There are going to be many speakers involved with this as well. You'll get brunch and lunch, which is as good a reason as any to go. And this is also a non-profit event, which with all the profits going to you support. So if you can get to London for that, that'd be very exciting as well. So now that uh, we're getting some people into the space, I'm going to hand over to Mark, who should be ready and waiting to take over. He's talking this evening to Roy Layton, and they're going to be discussing the changing the narrative of violence. So this is going to be a very interesting chat. So please do stick around and it's going to, well, I'm going to hand over and let's, let's get on with it. We have teamed up with the Witherslack Group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free with lunch included and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for Your Voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash Your Voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and wellbeing in school. 
You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers, including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger, and many more. There'll be talks, workshops, and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch, and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etcetera Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The TES magazine focuses on fears of a teacher trainee shortage as a report reveals ITT cold spots. The report in the magazine says the Department for Education in England has been warned that it must urgently tackle teacher training cold spots as analysis reveals recruitment issues across England. The analysis suggests that multiple regions in England face losing swathes of places on courses after a government shake-up cut initial teacher training provided numbers by a quarter. Recent results of the second and final rounds of the DfE's re-accreditation process showed that around 25% of existing providers could be lost. The teacher training sector is now calling for a pragmatic and realistic approach to ensuring trainees can access courses in all parts of the country. This comes at a time when the number of teachers entering the profession is falling. The North East is facing the sharpest potential loss as 32% of trainee places available last year are under threat. The East and South West regions also face significant cuts of around 24%. The report acknowledges that some new providers have received approval to start offering courses from 2024, but others within the sector are concerned that this will not fully resolve the issues. Providers have 15 days to lodge an application to appeal loss of accreditation. Teams of the UK's most talented young tradespeople are to begin competing in the World Skills Competition 2022. The competition, traditionally held in just one country, is, this year, taking in smaller events across the world. The event, which sees a UK team of 35 travel around the globe, begins in Stuttgart, Germany, on the 4th of October, and will end on November the 26th in Salzburg, Austria. The UK team will be looking to improve on a 12th place finish at the 2019 event. FE Week features details of the competitors and their areas of specialism, which include toolmaking, milling, web development and cybersecurity. Winners for each category will be announced during closing ceremonies for each competition, with medals given to those achieving gold, silver or bronze. Medals of excellence will be given to those judged to have reached world-class standard in their skill. In Wales, First Minister Mark Drakeford has taken part in an online Q&A session with school pupils. 
The session, hosted by The Politics Project, gives opportunities for schools to support learners in realising one of the four purposes of the Curriculum for Wales, becoming ethical, informed citizens of Wales and the world. Questions range from finding out about the politician's journey into politics, climate change and whether Wales can indeed win the World Cup. And finally, in South Africa, the government has issued a press release focusing on the recruitment of 25,000 education assistants and general school assistants for both public and special schools. The recruitment drive is part of the Presidential Youth Employment Initiative. Education assistants will support teachers with administrative tasks, classroom management, sports coaching and cultural activities, whilst the general assistants will focus on maintenance, cleaning and general admin. The programme is part of a drive to improve standards within schools in the country, as well as increasing employment opportunities. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week is World Space Week. Space is such a vast topic, there's always something you can find out that could potentially be a hook for a lesson. The theme this year is sustainability. I only found out about Space Week as I was browsing the internet. This got me thinking about how amazing the internet is and how so much information is at our fingertips. This week, I'm going to look at finding inspiration for a lesson using information I would never have known about without the amazing technology of the internet. During my research, I've discovered that there are a number of websites out there dedicated to awareness days. I've compiled a list of genuine official awareness days to motivate your form, classes, colleagues or even yourself from now until the end of term. In October, we have Buy British Day, National Poetry Day, National Kale Day, World Octopus Day and World Porridge Day. This one sounds funny, but it's actually to raise awareness for children in poverty in developing countries. Local Radio Day. To celebrate this, our very own Tom Rogers is going to stop talking every time he goes under a bridge. Still in October, we have National Roast Pheasant Day, UK Coffee Week, Apple Day, Global Champagne Day, International Stammering Awareness Day, World Tripe Day. National Pumpkin Day, American Beer Day, National Black Cat Day, and Wild Foods Day. There's not much information on Wild Foods Day, but if you do go all Bear Grills, please do let us know how it went. Ending October, we have RSPB Feed the Birds Day. Please feed the birds more than just one day. In November, there's World Vegan Day, National Stress Awareness Day, Roast Dinner Day, International Stout Day, and National Hug a Bear Day. I'd advise against hugging a real bear, however, it would make a very engaging lesson. Great British Game Week! British Pudding Day, Tempoliano Day and Zinfandel Day are followed by Homemade Bread Day. I think this is here to soak up all the wine. Still staying in November, there's National Gingerbread Day, National Eater Cranberry Day, The Fruit, not a band member. The end of November brings us White Ribbon Day. Days of interest in December before we break up, a Fuel Poverty Awareness Day, Christmas Jumper Day and National Hot Chocolate Day. The internet is an amazing resource for information. I hope you can find inspiration and motivation in your next search. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Excellent. Thanks ever so much, um, Lucy. And uh, thank you to those people that are all joining us here this evening. Um, so this is uh, now done a couple of uh, these late shows. And so the reason tonight um, one has come about, because there's been a, a thread um, running through and I feel that this one really builds on uh, the back of last week so this is um, week number four for me doing the Wednesday Late Show and the way that um, it's worked is that I started off um, looking at what advice we could give 
um, to our new teachers and our new teaching colleagues. And then a couple of weeks ago, we then took that into does education need a revolution? And I thought it did. And I had some quotes and people were getting involved with the show. And so that then led me into it, wanting to explore with people what the um, what would we do if we were the education secretary and how how that would work. And we had a really interesting chat last week um, with Doriano Verderami. Um, and I'd had Julia Hancock work with me uh, the week before to explore the education revolution. And so following that, I was thinking, well, if we're going to look at schools and we're going to look at schooling, let's actually look at something that will bring perhaps um, a different perspective. And that's what brings me to um, tonight's show, which is changing the narrative um, of violence. And uh, my friend Roy Layton um, has joined us and we're going, to, we're going to be introducing Roy in a moment and going through in detail what Roy um, has to offer and in terms of looking at his work that he's done with Professor Hilary Kremin, who's the head of Faculty of Education at Cambridge University, and really looking at what this can bring um, to us. And I do hope that people will um, join in the conversation. I know that Lucy will send you some suggestions if you want to um, chat. You please um, do send up messages, um, send in tweets, send in questions for Roy, or join in the conversation. Um, I do want this to be an interactive show, um, although I know how fascinating Roy is to listen to and how much I enjoy listening to him and learning from him. So but please don't forget to get involved. Just before I get into the show and introduce um, Roy fully, uh, it is worth um just reiterating what Lucy said at the top of the show about the rewriting wellbeing event. Um, if you go to Eventbrite and you search rewriting wellbeing, you'll be able to find the event that's on the 22nd of October in London. Um, everything uh, there is regarding your health as a teacher to look at your nutrition, your movement, your mindset, workload, and wellbeing. There's a a range of speakers, Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger, and many, many more. And the talks will, there'll be talks, workshops, and time for colleagues to network. And so you can meet up with like-minded colleagues. And all included in the price is brunch, lunch, and all the refreshments. And as it's a non-profit event, all of the proceeds will go to the amazing education charity, Ed Support. So that is to listen to Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach, rewriting, um, rewriting wellbeing. Search that up on the Eventbrite website. And the other thing to mention, because it's all about looking after ourselves and thinking about ourselves, is the fact that with a Slack group are a leading provider of specialist education and care, and they need people like you. Uh, with a Slack, you will be given all the resources and support you need to get a clear path for career progression. You'll be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. And with a Slack, currently have some fantastic career opportunities for people to apply to. If you want, if you're interested in having a look at it, please check out their website. That's www with a slack group.co.uk forward slash careers. That's with a slack group, W I T H E R S L A C K group.co.uk at uh, .co.uk forward slash careers. Check that out. I will repeat those later on in the show. So, I want to um, take a moment to introduce 
um, tonight's very special guest, who is Roy Layton. He's the author of 101 Days to Make a Change, and he is the co-director of Positive Peace Cambridge. And tonight we'll be exploring the work that Roy has done with Professor Hilary Kremin, who's the head of faculty of education at Cambridge University. And also a chance to look at the tools that they have designed to support change within, um, within schools. Now, Roy has um, contributed to seven other books, as well as the 101 Days to Make a Change, um, including There Is Another Way. So Roy comes certainly from a a mindset and a philosophy of there being a different way to do things. And it's of no surprise to some of you, I'm sure, that Roy holds a master's in philosophy, and that's based on knowledge, power and politics, and that came from Cambridge University. And he has recently taken on the role of co-director of Positive Peace Cambridge, which is a social enterprise inspired and created by the former and current peace and conflict scholars from Cambridge University. Roy, in partnership with Professor Hilary Kremin, who's the author of Positive Peace in Schools, um, has created a whole school peace audit tool to um, sorry, audit tool and individual conflict and peace profiling tools to support peacekeeping, peacemaking, and peace building in schools. And those three words are going to be absolutely vital throughout tonight's show. So peacekeeping, peacemaking, and peace building. And throughout tonight's show, Roy will share with us the design, delivery, and most importantly, the impact on schools that are changing the narrative of violence in our schools, our communities, and our institutions by shifting from the theory of peace education into action. So, Roy, can I welcome you to tonight's show? I think you've had a, I uh, can see you're still down as a listener, Roy. I think you've had a request for going as a speaker. If you just click on that link, then you'll change your status from listener to speaker. Roy, I should also stress that you would need to be listening and participating through your phone. So please make sure that you are, and then I will send the speaker request through again, and it shouldn't be a problem. I'm hoping it's just a minor tech difficulty. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. So just while we're sorting out the, the tech um, for Roy, okay, so hopefully he's just, uh, and I, on my very first show, we had 10 minutes of silence from me because I had forgotten to go on my phone. Um, so uh, it's easily done, um, but there's no such silence this evening. So whilst Roy just um, gets uh, logged in as uh, a speaker to be able to introduce, I just wonder while what colleagues are thinking hopefully you've seen from uh, what teach talk radio have tweeted out the actual nature of this evening's show as well as having from me that i've actually um sent out on my my twitter feed and uh, included teach talk radio some of the images that roy will talk about regard around this evening so actually having the matrix that roy will be using and making sure that we're looking at um, how that will actually work and be involved within uh, the work that Roy does and the way that that will impact the, uh, the learners and the whole school um, process. Okay, so just waiting for Roy to 
join us. It is worth me just pointing out to people, just so that where well, I have introduced Roy as a friend of mine, and I was very fortunate enough that before this show to be able to help me prepare, Roy did send me um, a copy of Hilly, Hilary Kremin and Terence Bevington's uh, book, which I just mentioned in the introduction, which is Positive Peace in Schools. So I do feel that I've been, had the opportunity to prepare, and I can see Roy's status has changed. So good evening, Roy. Good evening. Hi, Mark. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Thank you ever so much for that. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Thanks for, for inviting me. Thanks to everybody else for sort of rocking up at quarter to eight on a, on a Wednesday evening. Uh, um, so I hope this is going to be worth, worth your while. Well, I, having listened to you speak many times, Roy, I'm sure that, it, sure that it will be. And I'm looking forward to getting some interesting questions in from colleagues and looking at um, to be able to explore this. So I suppose the, <clears throat> the first thing is the title. Um, we've, uh, obviously, we discussed what the title would be, but you've used the word violence. And that sound, that's quite a controversial, very strong statement. What, what do you mean when you talk about violence, Roy? Well, well, I have to um, lay that at the door of um, Professor Hilary Kremin and, and Dr. Terence Bevington in their, their book, Positive Peace in Schools. They, they had a whole debate around whether or not the term violence or conflict should be used. But they came down on the side of using the term violence because, um, as defined in uh, peace work, and for those of you who are afraid with that, the, the work of a guy called Johan Galton, who is one of the first... Uh, instigators of positive peace and peace theory in the late, six, late 60s, 70s, and currently. Um, and it, violence is when, when someone is prevented from manifesting or expressing their you know, physical, emotional, intellectual, or spiritual identity. And that's an act of violence. Um, and we'll unpack this during the course of this evening, but it's, it's not, it's very different from conflict because one of the, the, the my observations of schools and working with schools both in the UK and globally for the past 30, 40 years is we, we avoid conflict because we confuse it with violence. And a lot of violence comes out of a lack of understanding of the healthy nature of constructive conflict because we, we, we're nice people and we don't like falling out, um, which I would argue is a reason why we <laughs> we manifest destructive conflict which leads to violence in all its forms so it's it basically it's, it's naming it for what it is rather than trying to confuse it with conflict which which is itself put a potential for, for for peace if if approached in the right way does that answer your question mark no that's absolutely perfect and and as i say i, I received uh, you gave me the book so i could actually be prepared for looking at this and i know that part one actually talks about violence in schools. So just for the listeners that possibly haven't read the book and maybe aren't as I've failed it. So just to clarify, we're looking beyond the idea of violence as in fights, as in, I know there's a quote in term in the book in terms of a teacher being threatened with a knife. And I know that we get the, um, the tabloid and the salacious stories about that sort of violence. This sort of violence you're, we're going to talk about and explore tonight is a lot deeper than that, isn't it? Well, I, th I think it's important to start off by giving a, a clarity of the, the three kinds of violence. Again, I will always come back to the core sources. And I would encourage those listening to explore the work of Johan Galton, uh, 
Um, and he, he, in his positive peace theory, defined three kinds of violence or three forms of violence. One is direct violence, which, as you say, can be physically or verbally violent. And, and that, that in itself is um, interesting because some people don't regard verbal abuse as violence. Um, and uh, as you know, we, we, I worked as part of independent thinking for many years, and Ian and I, Ian Gilbert, who set that up, go back many years. And uh, I remember Ian talking about 20, 25, 26 years ago, because he's an incredibly old man. Um, he, he asked the question, why is it that some teachers shout at children? And the answer is because they can. Um, but if you also look at the work of Julie Reese, who's a head teacher, um, Ledbury Primary School, and a great activist for values, she doesn't allow shouting in her school because it's an act of violence. And so there, there, there may be a, a, a challenge for some people who feel that the control mechanism within their classrooms is to shout at the children. And I would argue quite strongly that they are being violent to that child, which will begin a spiral of conflict between them, the child, and the class. Um, the second kind of violence is structural violence. So the, what, the, the structures within an institution that um, allow violence towards others to take place, and that can be racial violence, that can be um, sexism. And, and uh, if you look at the, the wonderful work of Diane Ray in a fantastic book called Miseducation, she, she gives a wonderful example of structural violence or institutional violence. And um, of when they have a display on a wall in a primary school where the, there is a pyramid, and at the top of the pyramid is the super learner. Uh, super learner is the, the photograph of the child who is the best in the class. And at the bottom of the pyramid are the, 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 the lazy learners. And that's a visual manifestation of, of structural violence in a classroom. And cultural violence is just, that's what we do here. That's just the way it is. Um, and it'd be interesting to listening to our colleagues here. And I would genuinely um, would like to engage in a dialogue with people about your experiences of direct institutional, structural and cultural violence. And, um, and the impact that they have on, on you, the individual, um, the relationships that you are seeking to form with the pupils and colleagues, and also the actual environment itself. So those are the three kinds of violence when we um, when we explore them and uh, to see whether or not those are present in your own in your own institutions is the beginning in terms of peace work. Because if you can't see the violence, you'll never create the peace. No, and I think that uh, I think that's really interesting. And I've just put out on Twitter, and so I'm interested in the, what the listeners are thinking. Is um, you know, that's that's a very strong statement to say. You know that violent, you know, shouting at a child is violent. Um, and in actual fact, um, it's something that I, you know, so I, I agree with. I think you know, that it, to me, if you shout, my personal perspective is, if you shout at a child to maintain control, you've lost control. And yeah. actually, you know, and that's just a, that's a personal perspective. But I know, uh, you know, working having worked in secondary, certainly that wasn't what I was like at the start of my career. I was possibly a traditional, what people might think, stereotypical PE teacher, and that was the way that things were done. And you know, uh, but actually, moving through my career and certainly working in primary, that you know, sort of doesn't 
certainly doesn't get you very far and you I actually see that so I wonder what um colleagues in views are you know I've got a couple of people that I can see that have listened uh before um and I've got some new colleagues which is absolutely brilliant um but I can also see I've got some colleagues listening this evening that are looking at um that have roles in terms of um, mental health and looking at that being a lead within the school so please do get in contact um, what are your views there in terms of direct violence um, the structural violence and the cultural violence and actually whether your experiences of it as as a pupil as a teacher has that informed you and how how that's worked for you so i've just i've just put out on twitter roy um the image that you kindly shared the other day because i think it's important to start looking at the concept of to how we move and what we would do from moving from um, violence to peace. So I suppose the first question I want to ask is, how does, when you do work with schools, and I know it's not only schools you work with, but obviously mm. we're looking education perspective, how, how, does the, how do they react to the concept of going in and talking about violence and, you know, and those, three, those three strands? How, how, does that, how does that go down? Well, I think um, it, it varies on the institution. Um, and I did a training session a couple of months ago for a really traditionally lovely school. And, they, and it was a lovely school. They're very, very nice people and they're very kind. And, and their, their, their cohort may be described as um, leafy suburb. And, um, and when the, the head teacher approached me to do the work, I said, said, well, we'll look at violence. He said, oh, we're not a violent school. We don't do violence here. But after exploring the difference between peace and negative peace, which is the next strand of this, a lot of people think just because we're not attacking each other, then this is a peaceful place to be. It's not. <laughs> so yeah. there is, a, there is a, 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 a crossing over to negative peace, which is where there is an absence of direct violence. So people aren't screaming at each other they aren't um, physically violent to each other but it's not peaceful um, how many people have, have endured the, the the undercurrent of loathing within the staff room um, that is negative peace because people aren't dealing with the reality of conflict they either lack the permission depending upon the culture of the school or, or they lack the skills um, and or, or they're, they're frightened. And I think this would be, again, looking at the component parts of peacemaking, um, peacekeeping, peacemaking, and peace building, which are the three ways to bring peace. Um, a lot of schools work very well at peace make, peacekeeping, and because it's based on, from a systems point of view, you have simple systems, you know, don't do this, do do that, you have more complicated systems and you have chaotic or self-organizing systems. But in, in peacekeeping, peace it's these are the rules. If you do this, there will be this punishment. And that's, that's simple. It's, it's effective. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't have environments whereby the, our first priority is the safety and the well-being of the staff and the, and the, and the pupils. I, 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 I'm not advocating some kind of shoes off tie-dye kind of loving um however that's not good enough if you're seeking to create a culture of peace which is positive peace um and that moves into the there is not only an absence of um direct violence which is negative peace 
but there's an absence of structural and cultural violence and people can say hang on these systems aren't working for some of these kids or these aren't working for me as a teacher how many of the, the, the our colleagues listening are in institutions and processes and structural um, um, yeah, structures which, which are flying the face of their own values um, and they don't have a voice and then the culture of it is oh well we just this is just what happens here so when you develop peacemaking you introduce things like restorative approaches so peacekeeping you've had a fight stop fighting intervention peacemaking is okay let's sit, sit down and look at what worked here what you know what was the cause how do we deal with it and a lot of schools are doing more peacekeeping and peacemaking but the work that we do is more about embedding a culture of, of peace building and the evidence is and i'm happy to, to share this with, with colleagues the evidence is if you create a culture of peace building you are least likely to do the peacekeeping and peacemaking because the students are managing their inter their conflicts amongst each other in in a higher level a self-organizing level and um that will impact their well-being their mental health and their achievements and their attainment so if you want to look at the lens of Ofsted for this if you want a really good leadership behavior policy teaching and learning out, uh, and outcomes it in, embed a culture of peace building don't just send children to a lockdown room um, uh, for, for not wearing the right socks no absolutely and, and obviously you've touched there on something that is you know a, a perennial twitter favorite and obviously different people will have different views. I mean, view. You know, there will be some people, potentially people that are listening, um, or you know, but views that I will have heard expressed. Um, the the concept of you know, the, the for want of a nail, you know, sort of the the concept of because the horse didn't have the the, sh the nail in the shoe, then the, the the shoe was lost, the the rider didn't ride, and the message was lost, and the battle was lost. And some people will push back on that, Roy, and say, well, if you don't focus on those small things. Um, and if you don't insist on silent corridors, if you don't have the the isolation rooms and all of those things, then actually then there is anarchy. So uh, how do, how do you counter those arguments? Well, I, I think it's a, I think it's a sound argument if you, if you're arguing to sustain a, a culture of peacekeeping or a simple structure where rules apply. And if you know if everyone played by the rules, um, th then then the, it would be a really efficient place to be. However, if you have to create an environment that's, that's in alignment with the complexity of the people working there, and our children and young people are experiencing conflict and have an awareness <clears throat> of the world and a relationship with the world, which is incredibly complex. And, and whilst you might have silent corridors, and again, I'm not knocking silent corridors. I don't... I, I, I have, it's, this, this isn't an advocating anarchy. It's saying, if you want silent corridors, create a culture whereby the students choose to be silent because they understand how that is impacting on themselves, others, and the environment. So raise their understanding um, through a process of embedding on a daily basis and a weekly basis strategies, structures, and processes that are consistent and simple, manageable, observable, and able to challenge. That, that's, that, that's all I'm saying. But 
but this brings us to a maybe too early to un unpack this now, but it it, it brings us to to the um, the the realization that that we sometimes control the situation based upon our own worldview. Quite simply, that most of us, <laughs> myself included, if everybody thought like me, it'd be a little better place to live and that's just not the case so having a model or having a structure that understands the reality of growth and carol Tweck's work on growth mindset is well recorded but my my research and and my work and my writings uh, was sparked off by a colleague of abraham maslow is a guy called clarence craves or claire craves who basically flipped maslow's triangle on its head still recognize the importance of the stages of, of development of Maslow's hierarchy. But he said, actually, as we get older, it gets more complex, it gets more challenging. But if we have an education system that is built on the premise that if you do this, it leads to that, and it leads to that, and it leads to that, and it has a linear, and it's a straight line, then well done. That will work. You want to build a bridge? Use those processes. You want to structure something that you can measure, and you can see, and you can, which is complicated, many, many parts, then do, do, do that, that simple stuff. But if you want to engage in uh, a, a situation or, or creating a culture whereby you can deal with profound trauma, every, every child coming through that door is, is bringing a life that may be traumatized. Now, I, I have in the past had conversations with colleagues who said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, I'm not a social worker. I'm, I, I'm here to teach a subject. And, and I, would, I, would, I would happily challenge that. I think our, our first premise as educators is to, is to teach children, or better still, our premise as educators is the happiness of children. And for that, we have to have simple structures that we all buy into. So I'm an advocate of simple systems, um, but not simple systems uh, as a, the, the, the beginning and the end. I think we need simple systems as a foundation for us to move to more complicated and, and then embracing chaotic and then developing self-organizing systems. And the evidence shows that this is absolutely possible. The challenges, the um, the mindset and the ability to change the mind of the individuals to even perceive that such a thing as a self-organizing school whereby the children manage each other's conf uh, conflicts in a mature way is even possible. I, 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 one final thing before we invite further comments is this ain't a quick fix. The, this, this has to be started and the process of it will be disruptive. Um, Claire Graves says there are six conditions for, for change. And the first one is, do you have the potential? Now, when we work with institutions, not just educational institutions, but social and corporate institutions, we, we've created a profiling tool, two profiling tools. One is to look at the health check of your school. Um, of where it fits into the intersection between peacekeeping, peacemaking, and peace building, and how that fits into inner peace, well-being, outer peace, which is your relationships, community and global peace, which is citizenship, 
and ecological peace, which is your understanding with the, you know, the cosmos, because um, that's a reality. Um, and where you see the gaps, where there are gaps within, within that, those intersections is really where you need to do the work. And our colleagues at CPERG, Cambridge Peace and Education Research Group, uh, an extraordinary group of current um, students, doctoral students and postdoctoral students doing the most amazing work to create cultures whereby we can shift away from a culture of violence and war into a culture of, of peace and reconciliation. That's brilliant, and and you've get, you just touched on the the sort of like the grid um, there. I've, I've shared it on my Twitter profile yeah, and shared it through Tiki Talk Radio. So hopefully everyone can have a look at that because then that's what I really wanted to sort of like explore with you next, Roy. So mm -hmm. in terms of this, you said ex explore the gaps. Is that on a how does that work? So you know, I'm hoping people will be sitting there listening, thinking, well. You know this this sounds interesting this is something potentially for me and for my school so when you look at the gaps how is it a, a whole a whole school would you start with you do you start with a year group because obviously it's going to be a a long process and from a personal point of view i've seen things in education where they come in and it's it's dropped on wholesale and there isn't that sort of um that, that build. So I like the fact that you're talking about it's going to be a process. It's not a quick fix. And also the fact of, you know, you said, um, the, the, is there the potential for change? So let's presume that there is that potential. How would you actually start to look at this, the inner piece, the outer piece, the community and global piece, and the ecological piece, and that layering with the concept of peace building, peacemaking, and peacekeeping what would it look like or what would it feel like um if you were working on that in in, in any school well we we basis uh, you'll be really pleased to know on, <laughs> on simple repeatable systems um and in the book 101 days to make a change which is based upon the stages of growth of, of um as set out by claire graves um, that's our process, um, because that mirrors child development. Um, he, he, his full title when he first came up with this was the, the emergent double helix model of adult biopsychosocial systems evolution, which is a great, you know, tripping off the tongue uh, kind of snappy um, thing. But, but um, that moved into the emergent levels of existence theory and subsequently into spiral dynamics and management drives and other other tools but the way that we would work with is three months three months iterations with the desire to be made redundant as quickly as possible and we would take people through a stage of understanding and these are the levels uh, survival so this comes back to the six conditions I started to, to the first one being is the potential. And then the second one is, um, uh, do the, do you really want the solutions? Because once we start working with people and we actually have conversations with the, with the pupils and the staff and we start working, there has to be this desire for you really want the solutions. Um, and then you have to accept that there's going to be dissonance and disruption and then 
you have to then um, be willing to engage in conflict, ironically, uh, to challenge the blocks. And that's where a lot of schools don't, because they are full of really beautiful, kind, lovely people. And because of their kindness, that kindness is being exploited by certain I potentially, either consciously or unconsciously, from other people who are just taking advantage of nice people. And, and, and I would encourage all the nice people there to, to, to engage in healthy conflict. Not violence, but, you know, enough already. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the next stage is you need to be open to insight. And I think this is a really interesting term that Graves used, because insight, and again, look at the work of Ian McGilchrist and the, the, the master in his emissary and his new double <laughs> two volumes book called the, the Matter with Things on the relationship between the seen and the unseen, the, the, the left and the right hemisphere and the myths around that. But the thing we can all agree on is that we are rational beings. So we need that logic. We need those rules. We need those processes. But we're also intuitive. And sometimes our subconscious, our intuition, our gut feeling will know, in fact, the evidence is that it knows intuitively what the big picture is, and then our left hemisphere comes in and starts doing the, the finer details. Um, but some of us have been educated out of insight. We don't trust it, uh, or we fear it. But in, in peace building, and peace, peace building predominantly, but also in peacemaking and peacekeeping, your intuition is in incredibly important and if you look at the work of uh, John Paul Lederach and his his work on his fantastic book on the moral imagination and this man has led many you know um, high level international peacekeeping missions and they fail and they fail because they, they, they usually come up with a plan a peace plan written probably by a bunch of white men who are imposing a particular methodology on a culture they know little or nothing about and that's bad enough, but, but what makes it even worse is they take the soul out of it. They quite literally take the heart out of it and they, they because the plan makes sense. And of course the plan makes sense. But of course the plan makes sense. If we want to preserve peace, if you go back to the matrix, you want to do the peacekeeping, of course it makes sense. But we are not just that simple creatures. We are complicated, chaotic and self-organizing creatures. And our institutions need to reflect that. So what we do, there's a long way of answering your question, but I think I need to put those elements in there. Absolutely. absolutely. We move from survival, which is a me, a me drive. Uh, Gray says you shift from self to others, newborn babies. If you if you look at the, the, the development of children, which we base our model on, development, develop, developmental model of childhood. So newborn babies, me focused, then they become aware that there are people around them, yeah, about three months or so. I mean, anyone can pick up a newborn baby, you know, so long as they're fed and they're warm and and they're, and uh, clean. But after about three months, their limbic brain kicks in, their, their more complicated brain kicks in, and they, hang on, I don't know you, I don't like your smell, I don't see, and they'll cry. Um, they then move into the me drive. Uh, so the, the, the we state is about what's known as tribal, only this group. These people with my rituals, my processes, my way of seeing the world. And if the tribe emerges, then there'll be a charismatic leader emerge amongst that. So that we move from to self. So this is the terrible twos, so so aptly named, where the child recognizes that there is a tribe 
<laughs> there's a hierarchy and really they they should be at the, pop, at the top of it and we need to educate them to have that powerful sense of self without being a brat um and we do that by introducing them to a wider network of people so they take them into school and that's they have to develop the order rules and structures and and how to work with people not of your tribe and then that that's a big chunk of our school our, uh, primary um, and then sort of late primary we then hit puberty and the prefrontal cortex kicks in and then evolution takes over and you have these wonderfully creative independent people getting ready to break free of the family all this is evolutionary science again i would refer you back to the emma gilchrist's work and the and that's great and any of you out there with rc teenagers just bless just bless them and and thank thank goodness that they are because if they got stuck at the fourth level of order and they were always doing the playing by the rules and doing as they're told and yes sir no sir they would never ever ever leave home and we don't want that so evolution has driven to the, to the next stage of enterprise and innovation and wealth creation and innovate and yeah collaboration and all that wonderful stuff we then mid-teens move into a, a greater awareness of the community the people outside our schools and immediate society and so we develop community and then from then we move into hopefully by the time they leave school into an understanding interconnected of uh, connectivity of how critical thinking works so there are more levels but let's not worry about those at the moment there's a couple more but from a from a, a program devised by myself and, and professor Kramer is first and foremost we say do the profiling does this school really want this or do they just want a profiling to say they've had a profiling tool if they're serious then we can begin the work and the workers give us your peace workers and so uh, we've just started a program with the school um, it's, it's a school that is an, an amazing school. It has an extraordinary challenging cohort. Sadly, um, two of the children were shot and one, one was stabbed to death um, a couple of months ago, just before we began this process. They didn't get us in because of that, by the way. We've, we've been um, in talk with them for a while. But we did the profile, got the data, and then the the head teacher uh, said, um, based upon the profile and what you've seen of the work, who would like to volunteer, volunteer to become the first wave of peace builders in our school? And out of a staff of about 100, we have 32, which is pretty high for a volunteer initiative. Yeah. And, and so what we do, we work with a group of about eight or 10, depending on size of school, and we create a, a process of each one teach two so it's a coaching model and so we will work with that small group on developing their sense of tribe who are they what is our purpose understand their roles responsibilities rewards come up with the plan make it innovative see what the impact is on the community then do critical reflection and that goes over a period of a few months and at the end of that we are in a position to know what the next iteration should be. And that cycle, that, that, that um, spiral is, is what we use um, based upon 
grazes neurolo neurological, psychological, sociological, and systemic model. So, but the way we explore it, I mean, I'm working with a group of year tens, and um, and if I turn, <laughs> with all due respect, uh, if I rock up, they, no one gives a damn about books and qualifications. Emma said, by the way, this is a, we're going to explore the emergent double helix model. Um, what we use is play. One of the methods we use, depending upon the, we use play. My background is in theatre and theatre training, and, and I, I love the fact that you quoted um, the idea of uh, revolution, because um, I draw a lot from a Brazilian um, theatre practitioner called Augusto Boal, and he says that theatre itself is not revolutionary. It's a rehearsal for the revolution. So using art, music, movement, forum theatre to get the message across to the students. And within that, we use study skills and how to use theatre to cheat at your exams and memory techniques. So we can use whatever techniques we like based upon the audience. But as I say, we have a very large bank of, if you want an academic, we can bring one of those in, if you like. If you want some, you know, a, 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 an educator, who is just brilliant at their job, we'll bring them in. If you want some art space, we can do. So the process is moving through clarity of purpose, understanding roles, responsibilities and rewards, coming up with a plan, making it clear but not overly detailed, acting upon it, and then reflecting on the impact of it, and then starting the whole process again. Um, so that's the process that we use. And for that, it requires us to explore what the archetypes are, the archetypes are of peace and violence. And we, we profile that. And that, that is an interesting exercise. That's, uh, that's brilliant. And thank you, you know, thank you so much um, for that, Roy. And it's, you know, re really good. I'm gonna, just gonna sort of like take a pause in the show for a minute, because we've been going for 45 minutes. Um, just a good opportunity, A, for, to allow you to have a, have a drink of something to lubricate so that you're actually uh, able to keep on talking for the, the rest of the, the show. Gives me a chance to just remind um, listeners, please do um, send messages in and be able to um, join in. Uh, if you want to ask Roy a question, if you want to challenge his thinking, challenge uh, what he's done, um, then please do. I know that Roy's worked in different schools, but, you know, what is it like for your context? I'm aware as listeners that you don't need, you don't want to maybe share um, school names or anything like that, but please do feel free to give some uh, ideas and how would it work in terms of context and your school and the different contexts we've got. Also, how it might work for you potentially in your role. I can see we've got lots of people in all different roles um, listening to the conversation this evening, um, and I'm going to I'm going to you know have have a look at that um, with Roy in a moment and just explore that. So please feel free to get yourself in uh, involved in the conversation because whilst it's very easy and even I I can lull into it of listening to Roy, we want it to be a, a conversation because there's it's about understanding this process it is very very different so i'm just going to park two questions with you roy um mm -hmm. and then i'll read out the i'll read out the adverts so i suppose the, first, the, the two questions i've got um would be uh sort of that they are related um so I, the first one i'll park is what happens if you have um resistant staff when you go and work because i think that's something that maybe people might 
be interested in. And the second one, I suppose, what if what the other bit that I uh, appeared to me is what happens if the school have got it wrong? Because you started off with have they got the potential, and and but it came up when you said do they really want the solutions? So not only what about resistant staff? What if the there's a the school have looked and said, well, actually, the problem is that there's direct violence and we've got these issues with um, our children and our learners. And when you go in, you then sort of think, well, hold on a minute, it's actually your structures and it's the culture of the school. Uh, maybe, you know, obviously not naming anyone, but have you had those experiences? So if I just park those um, with you, and it's just a good opportunity halfway through the show, just to remind people of the two adverts I read out at the start. So the first one is about Witherslack, a leading provider of specialist education and care. They need people like you to help them achieve even more. And at Witherslack, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. Witherslack currently have some fantastic career opportunities available to apply for please check out their website that's www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and the second one is one for all of us it's um, an event coming up only a couple of weeks away now and it is from charlie burley the teacher's health coach and he's got an event called rewriting well-being and it follows on a lot, I think, from what we're talking about this evening. So rewriting well-being, and it's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher. So it's one all for us. And that's going to look at your nutrition, your movement, your mindset, your workload, and your well-being in school. There's going to be speakers such as Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger, and many more. There'll be talks, workshops, as well as time to network with like-minded colleagues. You'll get brunch, lunch, and all refreshments included. And as it's a non-profit event, all the proceeds will go to your education charity, Ed Support. This really isn't one to miss, and it takes place on the 22nd of October at ETC Venues, St Paul's in London. If you're interested in going, go to the Eventbrite website and search Rewriting Wellbeing, and you will get <clears throat> excuse me, all the information that you need there so um roy i parked two questions with you and yeah. what i'd like to do is once once you've answered those um hopefully people will, will want to get involved in the conversation but then what i'd like to explore with you is that concept of um the peace builder and the wisdom and the four quadrants um diagram that i'm going to retweet so that people can um see it and know exactly what we're going to be talking about so whilst i just retweet that what what how how do you work in terms of resistant staff? And I suppose the second one is what if the school maybe and maybe you haven't had this experience, but what if they what would you do if they've got it wrong and you think actually it's not direct violence that's a problem, it's that structural or cultural? Um uh okay, so the the resistant staff I I would we would not be able to support a school in, in terms of any growth unless we get resistance. I mean, one of the, 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 the greatest challenges of, of, and wastes of time and money are initiatives where everyone just doesn't push back. Um, but not push back just because they're being arsey, but push back because they have a legitimate concern. And it's our responsibility, as I say, using the process of clarity of purpose, understanding of shared values and roles, responsibilities, rewards. Those two stages are essential for us to all know why we're there what we're doing um and 
without resistance, as I say, there's no growth. And just going back to Emma Gilchrist's work on, on, on the brain, we, without sort of bombarding people with, with the, the, the underlying research, I mean, we, we create resources that are evidenced, obviously, but we respond to the questions and the challenges and the needs of the environment. Um, there is no ego around what we, there's no sort of, <laughs> let me sort of show you how clever I am, because I came to academia late. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pracademic um, predominantly, so I'm a, I'm a practical based first and, and uh, academic second. Have you, I mean, I, I really enjoy the, the, the research and I really enjoy the, the study. But I'm of a mind that I wanted to do the stuff and then in my late 50s move into to academia. So when we're talking about the, the resistance, we, we're looking for two kinds of resistance. Because if those two kinds of resistance aren't there, there will be no real um, roots for this to grow. And the two kinds of resistance and the two kinds of potential growth are, are rational. We want people to challenge us intellectually and practically. So your point is saying, hang on, we have to do this with this cohort of kids because of this reason and that reason. And then if we can come up with a better reason and a better process based on evidence, then let's do it. If they can come up with a better reason and a better evidence why we shouldn't, then that's, that's fine. Um, but the other one, and I think this is the most interesting for me, Given, given my own area of research, which is uh, trans, what's known as transrational facilitation, um, which is facilitating groups by the, by use of the unseen and the unknown. Uh, anyone has ever been to a performance or um, listened to some music or watched a football match have been moved by the the experience, the visual or the auditory experience. So what we're looking for is their appreciation of and application of the transrational, which is made up of the emotional creative. So, and back in the day, for those of you who remember, the, the um, social and emotional aspects of learning, which, according to my colleague and friend, Dr. Andrew Curran, was potentially the most significant things to happen in the British education system, because we acknowledge the need for social and emotional, as well as the, the rational, the analytical, and the practical. And then the other, ele the, the other element of that, uh, of our emotional creative, is our intuitive spiritual. Um, and those four component parts of the spiritual and the emotional creative, which is the, the, the um, um, emotional, critical emotional skills, and then the practical and the analytical, which is critical thinking. So critical thinking and critical feeling is what we explore, um, are, are just the four basic Jungian personality types that form the common archetypes of the thinker, the feeler, the doer, and the, um, the um, in, intuitive. And Albert Einstein summed this up when he said, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a loyal servant, and we have become a society that honours the servant but has forgotten the gift. And you'll see in our matrix top right-hand corner, it's about exploring what it is to be in love. And the science, the science says, if you create a conditions where the child or the adults feel 
in a state of love. Great things happen to the brain. Wonderful things happened to the to the confidence, and therefore marvelous things happened in terms of the outcomes. So even bringing the the, the term love into an academic setting for some people, it will be easily dismissed as soft. I make no apology for that um, because it's a soft power that we need at the moment. The hard power has lost its edge. No, and I've got to say, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree. In actual fact, I can see that we've got several of my regular listeners um, in this evening and they know they've heard me say, I think twice now in two different sessions, that to me, teaching is a very easy thing to understand. It's a four-letter word and it's called love. Um, funny enough, actually, I had, a, I had a, one of my... One of the, I teach one of the tricky classes um, within the school, and I'm lucky. Um, I don't say this to my colleagues, but and I, I know that no one's listening tonight from school. But actually, they're they're great with me. And um, as one as they were leaving tonight, I had a couple of I had a couple of them high fiving me. And someone turned around and said to them, "What's Mr. Creasy done?" And he, he turned around and said, "Well, he loves us." And they said, "What do you mean he loves you?" And he said, "He tells he tells us every lesson that he loves us." And I think that that is something, you know, that's important. And going back to that concept that, you know, I firmly think that if you show children that concept of love, and, I, you know, I, I personally believe that children need two things when they come into school. They need to feel capable and lovable. So they need to feel that they can achieve and they can succeed, but they also need to feel that they are there, that they can be loved and they can be recognised as individuals. So that, that matrix and the concept of, you know, actually having that love is really important and to me how how are you going to get the the peace building that you've been talking so eloquently about throughout the show so um if they haven't got that because it, it's that that concept of love um and actually going back to the inner peace you know where you talk about self-awareness and self-acceptance well self-awareness and self-acceptance is actually lo loving the person that you are and not maybe the person that you want to be and the person that you see on social media so i think that that's something that's really really um important so thank you for bringing that to the conversation roy once well, 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 yeah sorry, sorry carry on carry on no, I was going to say what I, what I thought would be useful because I can see we've got about half an hour left and I'm, I'm sure we will keep coming back to the peace, uh, the, the peace building, um, the peacemaking and the peacekeeping um, matrix as we talk through because I think that that concept of it being about growth and change um, is vital. But I wanted to explore the um, the four quadrant um, diagram mm. with you, with wisdom, wisdom at the in the middle, yeah. where wisdom leads leads to peace building. Because and I've tweeted it out. So for people that are listening to the show, have a look at that so you can see the gr the grid that we're talking about. But there's some you know there's four there's four words all around there. So with wisdom in the middle, that concept of competition, collaboration, avoidance, and accommodation. Because um, I find it quite interesting, because I, I think when we we explored this a little bit last week, when we we're talking about being um, the education sector, and we talked about the ed education now actually being an awful lot about competition. There's competition for the best teachers, there's competition for the best pupils that then give us the best exam results, and therefore our numbers go up and we get better funding. Um, and sometimes we can avoid those difficult conversations, or going back to the concepts that you talked about about cultural 
violence we accommodate things and we we put th- up with things because that's just how we do it so mm. can we can we explore that uh, in uh, please roy with that concept of the the wisdom in the middle but then those four concepts of competition and collaboration avoidance and accommodation and we'll take it however you want to take it because i'm being led by you here okay I think if we go um, looking at wisdom, we're advocating wisdom-based practices. Uh, and wisdom uh, means that we have to honour the, uh, the traditions of our elders. And um, I, I'm working with, uh, and uh, she was part of my research, um, uh, an amazing woman called Oseti Kaneo, who has set up the first Afrocentric school in Kenya. So not based upon the the colonialist model, but on on that of the the of the um, traditions of, of that, that that great and amazing continent, which has brought us so much. Um, let's not go there just now. Um, but she talks about in her culture and in the wisdom traditions, um, the the idea of having an understanding of self in relationship to space and time is. This, is incredible. There, for, for those you know, in, in certain parts of Africa, there, there is no past and future, there is just now. And we tend to impose, we don't even consider the fact that time is experienced differently from different people. And that in itself, it requires us to be wise. And when we start talking about relationships, we have to start introducing the, the, the concept of, say, psychology and then resilience, which is about change management, and then results, which is about um, the, the the academic, which brings us back to those four rooms. So wisdom for us is a combination of having the knowledge and putting it into practice. And that is the role of the peace builder, and that's the archetype. But the peace builder is made up of four distinct characteristics or archetypes um, of the peacemaker, the, the, the facilitator, the peacekeeper, and the warrior. Uh, and you'll notice for those of you, this, this is a, a derivative of several um, models for peace, the languages from another uh, model, and also the restorative window comes from restorative justice, but most says, you know, done to rather than done with and for and by. And again, great advocate of this, and look at the work of the wonderful Mark Finnis, but what we are saying in, in complex and self-organizing systems, sometimes you need to be in the top right-hand corner of collaboration. That's the ideal. But, you know, sometimes you need to avoid it. <laughs> Your wisdom says, don't, this ain't one to, that just keep the peace. Don't engage in this. And sometimes you need to compete. And by competition, it means to, to be forceful advocates for, to challenge people, to, to put your argument forward, to put your... To, to fight for peace, if you like, and then accommodation, which is the role of the facilitator. So we use that, and when we profile individuals, they, they can highlight if they're sort of peace, where they are in terms of a, a scale, if you like, in terms of peacemaker, um, facilitator, peacekeeper, and warrior. Because one of the challenges is, and this is one of the ironies of a lot of wonderful peace workers, they become the violent they become the contributors of violence in an environment and they're not even aware of it. Um, so when the peacemaker, all the values can be creative. At any moment, we're creating value or we're creating anti-value. And peacemaker that collaborates and works with people, that's beautiful. But when the peacemaker becomes excessive or destructive, 
they become the savior. They either set themselves up or, or are set up by others as the person that will come and save you. We had a whole thing back in the day of superheads, which was terrible because they, it's terrible on two accounts. One, that people believe that they were, which is an extraordinary burden for one person to shoulder. But worse, some people actually believed it. They believed that they were the saviour. And we can see the consequences of, of putting all of that um, onus on getting everyone to do everything. So saviors is an excessive and destructive manifestation of the peacemaker. And it'd be interesting for colleagues, if you saw yourself in these, which, which one are you? Are you the healthy peacemaker or the excessive and just saviour? Or do you have members of staff or your leadership team say, oh, there's a person who thinks they're a peacemaker, <laughs> but are actually crucifying themselves. And the facilitator uh, who seeks to accommodate and uh, make things happen. And, and when we work with students and adults, I, I don't use the word teacher. Uh, I use the word facilitator. I think that some of the most amazing educators are facilitators of learning, not the teachers. Because teaching is the idea that you're going to give them something that you know that they don't. They've already got it. They've already accessed it. What your role is to facilitate their learning to make it abuse. So the facilitator the person that puts effort into accommodating and um, making sure everyone's engaged and on board, they can, if they're not careful, become the servant. And you'll see these servants in the staff room, they're tired and they're still saying yes. <laughs> they are on their knees and still volunteering to do the stuff that someone else should have done. And they're wonderful. And uh, my experience of the of the facilitator servant is that they're the most beautiful people that people have just taken advantage of. And then the peacekeeper, peacekeeper is a person that can avoid the conflict. And that's fine. But if you become the avoid, avoid it all the time, you become a bystander. So you're standing there, but you're not doing anything. You're observing it. You're almost a waste of space because we so dislike conflict in any form we, we we just avoid it and this is where people can find themselves uh, allowing bad things to happen and then finally the warrior is a person that fights for peace a person that will argue strongly for it and and um the, put their energy into this and fight on behalf of people who who may not have a voice and they're the com they're competitive they they don't they don't mind a bit of um push however when that becomes excessive and destructive they can become the dictator um righteous indignation and and i i think i've been i've fallen foul to this as, as i've got some colleagues on the call at the moment who i've known for some years ago well, you know yeah, i can get i can have a rant at um you know because we should just bloody well be doing this. And the irony is when the peace worker <laughs> from a warrior becomes a dictator, they come to beat people over the head with the peace banners, you know. Um, and once we see ourselves and we have an idea of where our values are creative, excessive and destructive, then we can do something to, to bring that back into the centre of that circle and to be more wise. And the dynamic is, as you will appreciate, the relationship between the individual, the others and the place will determine this constant dynamic of trying to be balanced. All of this is about bringing it into balance. It's not about stillness. 
Um, I, I teach martial arts. I teach Tai Chi. And the, the thing in Tai Chi is it's, it's not about being still. <laughs> it's being balanced and knowing that you're a constant state of movement. It's just where are you directing that movement? So in a nutshell, that's what the matrix is. And as a framework for supporting colleagues as we go on this journey, we use that to highlight their well-being uh, and the, the need for their healthy relationships and the focus on um, their citizenship. And uh, when we are able to do, do the, the coaching over a period of time, their relationship with their own cosmic um, relationship uh, with, with, well, with the cosmos, which requires going beyond the Anthropocene, or as we put it, going beyond that, that period of history where humanity is, has done its worst, but honouring the more than human. And this comes back into our relationship with the deeply rational, clearly processed, but also being open to the idea that it's not this simple. Uh, Ian Gilbert uh, quoted something today, I think, on Twitter. Um, and I think he was quoting um, David Attenborough, uh, who, who said uh, uh, about this, this um, wanting to get from the environment, take, take, take. And Attenborough said, if you are seeking to get an infinite growth in a finite world, you are either mad or you're an economist. And we have this banking model of our education system, if we go right back to Paolo Ferrer's work, this banking model, which says we just put in, they cut out. And the model is broken. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked for about 50 years well. It hasn't worked for, since it was incep in, since its inception. But for the past 50 years, the wheels have come off. And, and colleagues who have worked with this and... And, and again, I can see Chris on the corner. It'd be lovely to, to hear what she has to say about this, who's, an, uh, who's uh, experienced working internationally, is we've got the evidence. We've got what more evidence do you want? Not just the, you know, we can give you books and we can give you academic papers. What's more powerful than your own lived experience? And what we are doing, we are seeking to do um, with, with the colleagues is to offer practical support for them that need it and academic rigor for those that want it in order to share the same purpose of moving from a culture of violence towards our children and our staff to one of peace, because this is possible and it is already working in schools in the UK. That's brilliant. And, and the good thing is, Roy, that sort of we're, you're encouraging people to get involved. I'm going to come to Usman in a minute, who has requested to speak. But um, I've had a message from Lizzie that's um, echoing um, what you're saying and um, saying that she agrees that if you show um, students you believe in them and are there for them every step of the way, even when they make mistakes, it's really important. And I think, you know, I, I would just add to that from what um, you said it's not only the students, it's making sure you have the same thing with the staff and making sure colleagues have that. But I think that that's something that's really important and really interesting to see where we uh, where that is. So I'd like to um, ask Usman, if you could just unmute yourself, um, Usman, and uh, join in, because I can see that actually in your um, profile, you've got that you're a conflict consultant. So what would you like to say, um, either ask or share to the conversation? Okay, um, thank you so much. I am Usman Abazana from 
Medjugri, the capital city of Borno State, which is a state that has been devastated by an armed conflict, a very deadly armed conflict of the Boko Haram. So um, what I would like to say is, regardless of the experience I have here, I just want to talk about the teaching and, of course, changing the narratives, which is something that is very difficult. In my state, where people are just victims of direct consequences of the armed conflict, uh, are not changing the narrative because... It is something that they found themselves already wrapped around it and nothing to do to salvage themselves against it because you can see that hunger and even lack of access to basic amenities is one of the status that these people here have already been experiencing. And for relating it with teaching, teaching uh, in this part of the, the world is something very difficult to conceptualize because you will find a teacher who is not satisfied with what incentive for social welfare he is receiving. And that has contributed enormously to the weaknesses that um, the teaching sector in Medjugorje, the capital city of Borno State, is presently witnessing, especially in the time of the armed conflict. So... Changing narrative here, we are getting it very difficult. You only find few people who want to act against the bad narrative that the armed conflict has already established in the face of the global world. And even though there is changes, but the storytelling is not really, really impactful because we, we, we see cases where um, bad stories have already been shared all around the world. People have negative perspective about the region and all these uh, consequences of um, the bad narrative that are already been established in Medjugorje. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak about the region and also thank you everyone for listening. Um, before you go, Usman, before you go, Usman, um, um, the, the work that you're doing, and, and I'm part of the, um, the, the Cambridge Latin American um, Education um, Consortium, CLADEC, and we're doing an, uh, an event linking um, educators uh, in the UK, globally actually, but we're, we're launching it at Cambridge for a week, and um, Sao Paulo, and um, I would love you to be part of that. I will, if you follow on the Twitter, I will tweet something to you because we are drawing from, because you, you've highlighted a particularly um, uh, challenging circumstances, uh, um, because we look at violence in the, within in the normal UK setting, and there are terrible, terrible things happening. But when you are faced with armed conflict and lack of basic uh, amenities it shifts it shifts so much and i have amazing respect and what what we are doing in our schools in the uk couldn't happen could not happen in a conflict or post-conflict um and we're exploring conversations at the moment with with parties who um what what happens after the, the the war stopped in the ukraine what does the curriculum look like? 
<laughs> and you can't have a peace curriculum post-war. You have to have a trauma curriculum first before you do the peace. And I just want to, to, to highlight that, that we can only do this because we are already in a, in a space which has got the basic amenities. And, and, and I'll send you the link to, to this work, Osman, uh, and I would love to, to carry on the conversation. I'm gonna, there's a quote from um, Paolo Vera in his work, the, the Pedagogy of the Oppressed, which we take to heart. And one of the things in any conflict, be it an armed conflict that you are sadly experiencing, or the conflict within a classroom, is having the capacity to break the cycle of violence and oppression. And Paulo Aguilera says, in order for this struggle to have meaning, the oppressed must not, in seeking to regain their humanity, which is an, a way to create it, become in turn oppressors of the oppressors, but rather restorers of the humanity of both. And I think the biggest challenge for peacekeepers is not to become the excessive warrior or, or, or the excessive savior or the excessive servant and blame all these terrible people and seek vengeance upon them. And we can argue with the government and we should argue with the government. But what we can bring into the argument if we are ever to break the cycle is compassion. It's understanding that they are where they are because of the circumstances. It's not excuses. It's not tolerating. It goes right back to we need to preserve peace first and foremost, stop the guns, get them away. Then we need to do restorative practice. And again, we see this work in, in South Africa with the Peace and Reconciliation Committee. But we should get to the point as schools where we can evidence peace building in order that the schools become the centers where we stop the stem of violence over time, but also our children, and this is my experience currently, I am working with the most extraordinary young people who are more insightful, compassionate, mature, and capable of peace building than the adults that are supposed to be leading us. And that's quite that's quite a scary that can be quite a scary um, concept, but then it also becomes quite liberating, doesn't it, Roy? And I wonder what what Usman, if you've got anything to share on that in terms of who you're seeing um, in your situation make a difference. Is it actually the leaders, or is it actually the other people that are doing doing things despite what's going on, rather than because of what's going on? Usman, have you got? Are you still there? You've got a view on that? Okay, Roy, continue. So, so I guess, so Roy, what in terms in terms of do you find do you find that quite liberating that it's not the leaders, or do you find that quite sad, Roy? Uh, I wish it was both. Um, let me, because I'm aware of time. I do want to reassure you that this is possible. Um, uh, I'm not sure if anyone comes from the, the north of England in the Leeds area. Um, but about 15 years ago, I was invited by the then Head of Children and Young People Services, Nigel Richardson and others within that community, to explore the ideas of values-based education as it was then. 
um, it's um, and we there was myself and the various other people who were involved in that. And the thing that Nigel would bring to every bloody meeting uh, would be a quote from E.M. Forster, and which is only from Howard's End. Only connect, live in fragments no longer. And he said, and and we have a, an image. And if you come and work with us, we 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 have very some simple images, um, like circles and lines, uh, and, and without any language to them, because we work with an international audience. So the starting point isn't to to put the English language, but to put a, a, a visual, um, and ask people how they would complete it. But. The idea of finding that point of contact, that point of connection, and that point of connection is our shared humanity. And there's a quote by Ruma Godden, who's a, she, she wrote The Black Narcissus, who's a children's author. And she says, there is an Indian proverb that says, everyone is a house with four rooms, a physical, a mental, an emotional, and a spiritual. Unless we go into every room every day, even only to keep it aired, we're not a complete person. So the work that Hillary, and myself, and uh, colleagues within CPIRG and, 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 and others are saying, that's our starting point. You talk about the happiness of children, and, and do have a look at the extraordinary work of Dave Whitaker and others. Um, capable and lovable, that mantra, capable and lovable. I'm the adult, I'm the adult. You, you, I, I'm there to support you as, as a student. And so, over the years, we started working with some schools, and one of the schools was a secondary school with, called Carl Manor School. And at the time, they had about 60 languages spoken. And some of the students were um, refugees from Somalia. And again, Usman, I think you may um, appreciate what I'm about to say. They brought the, the warring culture that, the, that they forced to leave their homeland into a large um, uh, city secondary school. But what the teachers done and the leader here has done, they implemented some of the basic skills of peace building. So if you want to do peace building in your school, do this. Every Monday, all of the leadership team arrive at quarter to five, quarter to eight, and they sit in a circle and they ask each other, how was their weekend? That's it. They just go around and say, how's your weekend? How's it? What did you do? What did you do? Did, you go, did you go cinema? What did you do there? Check in with them emotionally. Critical feeling. And then critical thinking. Okay, this is what's happening this week. This is what everyone in the school needs to be aware of. This is so that usual info. And then take the leadership team into, a, into the hall, about quarter past eight, where every member of staff, or at least those members who aren't on immediate duty, are sitting in circles in their... Um, this is a secondary school, by the way, primary and secondary school now, but it was a sec secondary school where they are sitting in circles, all of the subjects, and they can be in groups, and they do the same thing. How's your weekend? How are you feeling? Uh, how's it going? What, how do you feel about this week? Critical feeling and then critical thinking. Here are some of the challenges we face, and they do the usual things, things to celebrate, things to share with the kids. And then all the kids come in, and they sit in circles, but their circles are a year six member from the primary, if you can do it, then seven, a couple of year sevens, eights, nines, tens, elevens, and an adult who does the same thing. How are you feeling? What's going on? And 
then this is what we're doing this week. Any questions, any thoughts? And that means that every person in the school has had a voice before the week begins. And then on Wednesday, check up. So you check in on a Monday. You check up with just with the students. And then you check out on a Friday. And the, the final thing is you teach them restorative practices. And you have two students in, in the room, uh, in each class, who will take on the role of the peace builder. And then if a child's behaviour, um, and there are other strategies which I won't bore you with at the moment because we don't have time, but if it does get to the point where the, the, the student's asked to step out of the classroom, the teacher doesn't go out because the teacher's teaching, but the peace worker goes out to the, to the student and they, they have a chat. They have a little lanyard with the <laughs> restorative questions. And they have a chat and they seek to bring them in, understand what was it going on and, and restore it. Now, this school exists. It, it, it's, uh, his, it's, it's Carmana, it's now a primary secondary. It's part of what's now expanded to take the influence of that school community into the whole of a city. Leeds, by the way, is the only outstanding city, according to Ofsted, in the country, because they have a peace-building agenda. It has taken time, but it does work. Oh, and in seven years, they have lost seven days in exclusion. That's it, wow. seven days. Seven days across the whole school. And that's not permanent exclusion, it's temporary. Because when they say every child matters, they mean it, and they're able to put the systems in place, the, the practical systems, the processes, the structures, and the social and emotional systems. So they embed protection, they, the, the preservation, they embed restoration, and they embed growth and change. And when you do that, the school moves to a, a place which is so peaceful. That, of course, they have conflicts, but they understand them. It's, they're, they're not brittle. They can bend. And um, so to, to, to finish off, I'll take any, any other thoughts and questions. I don't want you to think that this is an, uh, an invitation to do something that's never been done before. This is... Uh, and then the reason I, I'm so delighted to be invited to this is, um, I'll go back to my quote at the beginning. Um, we've done this. We've done the theoretical work. We've done the practical work. But this has been a rehearsal for the revolution. It's not the revolution. It's a re rehearsal for the revolution because the real revolution is going to come out. It's going to be a peace-based revolution when we can educate our children across the world to not become the violent, stupid, greedy individuals that are currently uh, endemic in our most important positions in our society. Absolutely, and I think that, and I think that's absolutely fabulous. And it's interesting you talking there about the circles, Roy. Um, about well, just over 10 years ago, I went to an international conference in South Africa and I went to um, a couple of schools out there. And one of the things that they did, um, and I brought it back and I work it um, with some of my classes and, and English children found it, find it strange, but they would actually do something where they would go up to each other and say, um, I am here to be seen. And the, the, the other child will say, I see you. And then they would go to someone else and say, I am here to be heard. And the person would say, I hear you. And that, that understanding of being acknowledged and being recognised, um, I think that you know that, that really resonated with what um, what you've just said. 
Um, it's been a, I, I can't believe that the show is really at, at an end. Um, I've got the time just because uh, for people that are listening, I've got um, someone here um, that's uh, going to speak. And actually, it's Krista um, Hazel, who is going to be next week's guest on the show. Mm. So, Krista, good evening. Good evening. Um, it's been an absolute joy to listen to you, Roy and Mark, obviously, um, Usman too, and just hearing this and it boils down to, it just makes me think of all those young people in our schools, in educational establishments across the across the globe. And just, as you said, recognising them for who they are, the humans that they are, and treating them with respect and looking them in their face and just really making them feel that, like, you are their person, you see them, and you're there to work with them. And that is the power of human connection. And we know this from teaching our own classrooms, whatever we do. And I just want to say, Roy, this, you know, this evening's just been wonderful to hear you. And thank you so very much. It's just been a joy. It's well, nicer, nicer. I'll, I'll tune into your, <laughs> to your presentation next week. But it's, 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 it's the educators like your good self and those here that we can make a difference, not because we are making a difference. And it's just recognising that and becoming uh, a community. Uh, uh, the Margaret Weekly says, that whatever the problem is, uh, community, community is the answer. And I, I absolutely believe that. Absolutely. And it goes back to the, the old concept, isn't it? Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, and I think, you know, that's that, that's there. Um, I'm going to need to stop the conversation. I can see I've got two people wanting to join in Usman to come back and other people. But unfortunately, we are almost out of time. Um, a huge, huge thank you uh, to Roy um, for giving up your evening this evening and sharing this. Obviously, you can follow Roy um, on Twitter. You can pick up the work um, that he's doing. Um, he kept mentioning Seaperg. I've included them in tweets, so please look out for that because that's where you can look at what um, Professor Hilary Kremin's doing. Um, obviously, I've done about with a Slack and I've talked to you about the rewriting wellbeing. Um, Krista's spoken to us. Krista will join me next week where we're going to look at um, why MFL matters now more than ever. And that's going to be our um, our topic next week. But from Roy, I've got a couple of nuggets. First of all, please don't forget that healthy conflict can facilitate change. Yeah. Remember that structures and ideas that are manageable, realistic and have observable impact. That's what you are aiming for. And also that concept that Roy talked about that it's not just about peace and violence and peace and conflict, that actually there is such a thing as negative peace. And obviously people that practice negative peace um, cause a huge, huge problem, as well as people where there's violence and conflict, and the two aren't the same. And I suppose we should go back to right where we started at the start when I asked Roy, what do we mean by violence? Don't forget that there are those three categories of violence that Roy identified, the direct violence, the structural violence, and the cultural violence. And let's make sure that we work together to actually build that peaceful world and get away from this concept of violence. Roy, a huge, huge thank you for everything uh, you've shared with us this evening. We could have gone for another hour and a half, I know. <laughs> but that's it for this week's Late Show, everybody. And uh, Lucy, once again, thanks for being my tech support tonight. Oh, gosh, no problem. What an absolutely incredible show. So I want to echo everybody's sentiments. I'm not going to... Uh, take up too much of people's time but Roy what an absolutely fascinating
fascinating individual you are. Could I request, please, because I'm sure people will be interested, that uh, you send Mark all the uh, various books and reading material that you um, mentioned during the show, because I know that uh, uh, show notes is kind of a... Uh, a useful thing that we do sometimes as part of Teachers Talk Radio, and I'm sure there's some people that would love to get their hands on some of that material and and read on, particularly when they listen back to this show as well. And we'll make sure that that's available for people because I think everybody should hear this. I have um, not been tweeting as wildly as I normally do because I've been absolutely gripped myself, but uh, hopefully the message is out there for people to come and listen to what I think is uh, very, very important information for, for all of us, both in work and in, in life. So amazing stuff um mark you've you've already talked about next week's usman great stuff from you as well and uh thank you everybody and we will leave it there thank you thanks everybody you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio